So I'm amazed that this hasn't happened before and that it doesn't happen more often, but we do need to start by issuing a correction. And I should say, we apologize from the most bitter depths of our soul. Dan has been racked and tormented by this all week long. He hasn't slept a wink. His pillow is soaked in tears. And and I don't I don't know what we're going to do, but we've before anything else, we do have to issue again our most sincere apologies and the following correction. Oh wow, that was dramatic. No, actually I've been so excited to do this episode to do this correction because when I started listening to our last one and I realized I said it, I just instantly felt super stupid. But okay, so the correction I have to make is I said the RDA for protein was eight grams per kilogram of body weight and it's actually 0.8. So Dan basically go, went and told you to eat a horse every day. Yeah. You know, I don't know if anybody actually caught that or did the math on oh, that. Oh, but I but. felt really bad. So so yeah, but the what, what most sports scientists are recommending is actually 1.2 to 1.6 depending on your training load, but the RDA is not eight grams, it's 0.8. So hopefully nobody noticed that. And if I, somebody can try eating eight grams of protein per kilogram of body weight this week, like some point and tell us how that goes, I'd be fascinated to hear it, but. Yeah, but don't try it. Okay. So. Do you, do you feel better now that that's off I your chest? I feel better. Um, hopefully I still have some respect out there. But. I don't know. This, this is the moment that, uh, that it all, the whole house of cards came falling down and, and Dan Draper was knocked off his pedestal. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, let's just jump in. Before we begin, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group, Salt Lake City. Um, why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really owe? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. And, uh, and yeah, you know, if you have seven or eight figures worth of investable uh, wealth, you owe it to yourself to give these guys a call. Investment advisor services offered through Town Square Capital, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Town Square is not affiliated with any other named entity. You know, before we begin, I, I hope everyone got a chance to listen to Joe's podcast on, he, ta he talked a little bit about his eating disorder. Really good podcast, Joe. You did a great job. I like how you kind of included, so he, he learned how to do like background music and it sounded almost like an NPR production. So good job. My, my girlfriend said I was a little heavy handed with the background music. So well, I was going to say, I was going to have a request when I do my episode on cramping, can we kind of set it to some touching music in the background and... You know, really. What's the right music for a podcast about cramping and then just pick like the most despondent, sad music we can possibly the, find? Yeah, that would be because it's kind of an emotional subject for me and we could really play on people's heartstrings a little bit. So Glad to see we're all taking this in stride, Dan. Uh, um, but thank, thank you for your kind words. If you haven't had a chance to listen, uh, uh, well, I was going to say please do. It doesn't do anything for me, but you know, I, I hope there's useful information in there. Um, I will say I had a, a lot of good and interesting conversations with people afterwards. 
Um, yeah, good good information there. I hope and uh, you know appreciate the kind words. I I want to shout out a really cool Maybird thing that happened this week. I don't know yeah. if this one has this happened before. Has anybody? I don't on know if done we've this? had a Maybird or do this before. But um, Austin Byer, he Everested this past week, I guess. So yeah. if if you're not familiar, Everesting is is a challenge that's existed in cycling for a long time, but took off during the pandemic when there wasn't real racing. And it's essentially a bicycle ride where you climb the elevation of Mount Everest from sea level, which basically means a ride where you're climbing 29,000, 29 feet, we'll call it 30,000 feet for easy math. And you have to do it on the same climb again and again. So you ride up the climb, ride down, ride up the climb, ride down. And um, it is one of the most monstrously difficult things that you can do athletically as a human being. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and that's like he's he's leaving on a mission soon. This is something he wanted to do before he left, so that's a super cool accomplishment. Something I would love to do, but I don't think I could. But you know, we no, you couldn't. There's no way. <laughs> you know, maybe you could Mount Denali or Mount Olympus or there you go or Enzyme Peak. I, I We're gonna know. come back. Dan Granger peaked this weekend. <laughs> um, no, but but for reference, so twenty nine thousand twenty nine feet. You'd have to climb Little Cottonwood Canyon from the bottom all the way to like the Alta Dirt Road about ten times, to just just for reference, all in one ride. How long did it take, Austin? It was like twenty three hours. It took a. It takes all day. I mean, yeah, it's a, it it's crazy. It is unbelievably crazy. And if you have a second, go and look up all of like. Um, it was fun to follow during the pandemic. A bunch of pros did like you know, a competition to see who get the fastest, um, Everesting time ever. And that bred this, I was talking to Dan today and that whole thing bred this whole, you know, cool group of like Everesting specific bikes and stuff. And it's really interesting to hear about the considerations that go into like what climb is best to do it on or whatever. But, but at the end of the day, just being able to do it is, is crazy. It's absolutely yeah, nuts. Like that's... I would do point to point in a heartbeat over Everesting. It is, it is just, in a, it's in a different, you know, stratosphere of difficulty. So yeah. chapeau to, uh, to Austin. That's way, way so, to so cool. Yeah. Well, should we just kind of jump in today? Yeah. I, I don't, we have, we have, this is a really important subject that we have a lot to say about. I don't have a whole lot. Well, I have, I always have stuff to say about bikes, but we've decided to kind of triage. Um, and we are going to give Dan uh, the remainder of the time to talk about something that will, will become relevant very soon here and that you should start planning for. Absolutely. And, you know, I know we say this a lot, but this truly is something that separates the best from the mediocre. So super important, super important topic. Um, but before we get into it, I just want to reemphasize a principle that, um, when we had the, when we had Justin Ross do a university of Maybird for us, Dr. Justin Ross, he introduced a, a point that I just think is super important to, to remember that we are not cyclists. We are athletes that ride bikes. And that's just something that we really need to remember. Just a super important concept um, as we as we talk about what we're talking about today. So today we're talking about the off season and, and winter training. And let me just make one term really, really clear. Um, the off season does not refer to from like November to March. That's not the off season. That is winter training. The off season is really just a couple of weeks after your, your last race, your A event. So um, off seasons are short 
it's it's the the off season shouldn't be the entire winter and that's kind of what we'll be talking about today so let's first start talking about the off season and then we'll switch gears and, and start talking about winter training really quick because i am guilty of using those terms interchangeably and talking about the off season to refer to just the time here in the northern hemisphere where it's too cold to ride bikes outside all the time why why does that distinction matter well, because the off season is literally a time where you're off the bike and you're resting and winter training, you're not resting anymore. You're actually training. But, um, so let's first talk about the off season. So, so you guys have been riding really hard, probably from, if not before, but at least from like March until, you know, you'll, you'll stop riding in late October. That's a long time. And I, I think it's probably pretty natural and okay if you're kind of starting to get to a point where you feel like you need a break and, and that's nothing to ever be ashamed of or feel bad about you guys have worked hard and you deserve a break. And that's what the off season really is. Um, you've done, you know, like we've talked about, like training does a lot of damage. We, we have like recovery weeks, we have uh, recovery days, but that's really not enough time to repair some of the, the more major and chronic damage that we're experiencing from our training. So the off season after, and and for most of us listening, that refers to like state champs. So after state champs, it's really important that you take at least a week and a half to two weeks off, like off training, off your bike. Um, Not a couple of weeks bagging peaks and, you know, rock climbing every single afternoon and, you know, like, like off. Yeah. This is like true deep recovery. And and the, the, the more seriously you take this recovery period, the shorter it needs to be, you know? So if you can truly take the time off, truly recover, truly let your body heal and repair it, it, you won't have to drag it on as long. Um, you know, if, if you've got like a schema coach or a cross country coach, that's wanting you to, to, you know, as soon as your bike season is done to start running, to get ready for that seat, tell them you need a week and a half to two weeks off. Trust me, because you know, if, if this is something that you don't take seriously, you kind of just enter this kind of chronic overtrained state where, where you, um, you just kind of feel kind of slow and icky and, and just tired and flat and and I'm personally am kind of in that state myself. I mean, I really don't take recover recovery as seriously as I should and 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 this is something that that I probably need to do. Um it's something that like can you ride your bike all year round nonstop? Yes. Do people do it? Yes. Is it conducive to winning races? No. You know, like like pros do not do this. You know, professional riders take very they take their recovery as seriously as they take their you know, their intervals. Yeah. They take it more seriously than we do, which is something that makes them different from us. So yeah. So a week and a half to two weeks, that's all we're asking, but take it seriously. And I personally wouldn't do more than that. Um, and we'll explain what happens next, but, um, but yeah, no, you definitely need a period of time off the bike. Um, and how long that is really, depends on how you're feeling, how the season went, but really as far as the amount of time to take off your bike, um, take time off until you're, you're hungry again to ride your bike, you know, and for some people that might just be a couple weeks for some people, it might be pretty much the entire winter. Um, but 
you really do kind of want to to be fresh and, and excited and motivated to write again when you when you return. Okay, so you guys know you have a break coming up and there's not a whole lot of the season left. And, and like for me at work, if I know I'm going to be taking some time off, I, I just feel like I have to get all this extra work done so I know I can enjoy that time and, and so I can be ready to take that time off. And that's kind of how I, I hope the rest of your season is. You know you've got this break coming up. This, this level of work that you're doing is not going to last forever and you, you have some time off coming. So just really mentally be tough and push through it and and when the when it's time to take a break you'll you'll be able to enjoy it knowing that you gave everything you could this season and yeah so that's that's your off season it's it's one and a half to two weeks where you're you're just focusing on repairing all the damage that you've done through this season of hard training so take that seriously if if you're like listening to this and because i'm i'm hearing that and i'm kind of thinking like I haven't been able to ride as much as I wanted throughout the fall and stuff, you know, work and stuff is busy. If you're a, a parent listening to this and you haven't been racing and stuff, is there any value in taking some really hard time off and stuff? Um, if you're not a racer or just kind of push through or, or you know? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of this advice, I mean, obviously rest is good for everybody. And if you're ever in doubt, you should take a rest, you know? Um, I, I think this, what we're talking about is especially for those who were who were following really strict training plans for throughout most of the season you know kind of like a Colin De La Garza or something who's who's really trained seriously throughout the season these people especially need to take to take this break those that have trained really really consistent consistently throughout the season I know there's a lot of riders out there that kind of are kind of have hot weeks and cold weeks and probably take a lot of time off but uh, or if I, people are like you get sick you have work and stuff you're not riding or you've like i've done very little amount of racing this year like i'm ridiculously hungry to ride right now you know i think the kind of point is like use judgment you know yeah, you, so, you know who you are so basically the more consistently you've trained the more necessary this break is so so yeah so that that's the off season one to two weeks of just really top quality rest and and recovery super super important um, so let's talk a little more about winter training now. So after you're done with your off season, that's when winter training comes into play. And now winter training is just something that's super, super important to me. When, when you look at the, the top riders that, you know, the top athletes that, you know, they all do some form of winter training. Like in Nike, this is what separates podiums from pack fillers. You Absolutely. Know, like you yeah. can be a really fit kid and show up to Nike and, and do fine. But like, if you really want to be really good at this sport, it can't be a seasonal thing. And that doesn't mean you have to be on the bike year round, but like you can't just do nothing and then train for Nike and expect to be, you know, podiuming in varsity. Every single person in the top 10 of varsity does some kind of training over the winter, something intentional. Exactly. And I would say that winter training is one of the things that's going to probably one of the most important thing that's going to separate the best from the mediocre, but it's also something, one of the main causes of kids having issues with burnout too. So it's something that really needs to be done right. Super important, but it really needs to be done right. Um, so, you know, I mean, we live in Salt Lake. We live right by the mountains. We have really cold, harsh winters. Um, 
all of us are going to be forced to do things differently here soon. I mean, we've got winter coming. We can't go ride our bikes in Round Valley three or four times a week anymore. I mean, things, things are going to be changing here soon. So we're kind of forced to do things differently to kind of change how we're doing things. And I think this is actually a good thing because like obsessive compulsive trainers like myself would just do the same thing, ride shoreline all year round without ever stopping. I, th I think this, this break that we're forced to take is actually a good thing. I think if, if we lived in St. George, it might be a little different and we, you know, we'd really have to encourage more of a change during the off season, but, but, or even if like you see the folks who start doing I cups in early March, do racing all the way through the year, do cross until January and they have like a month off. I kind of worry that like over time cycling isn't a thing that you want to do anymore. And yeah. it's like, I've, I've seen it happen before people, and I, maybe I'd be, I haven't had the opera. I'd love to have the opportunity to try, but you know, like if you ride bikes all year round, I don't think you'll be riding bikes very long. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fair to say. So, yeah. So I'm grateful for the winters. It kind of forces us to, to do things. In fact, I personally don't recommend that we bundle up and go outside and ride every day. I think that's, uh, you know, I've actually seen that cause a lot of problems for kids that do that. Um, I know we see the pros do it, but I think that there's, there's really better options for the winter. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is really, you know, what we do during like November, December and, and January, if, you know, if we're doing aerobic training during those months, what, what form of aerobic training, it's, it's really not going to matter that much in July and October, what we did in November and December, as long as we did some form of aerobic training. Um, you know, and two, you know, I, I think it's important to point out too that, you know, the science is pretty clear that especially with youth, that being involved with multiple sports is a, a pretty good way to help prevent burnout. I mean, I've, I've seen people that overdo it, but, um, but yeah, doing, doing more than one thing is super important. As long as they're complementary, I think. I think if you're trying to do mountain biking and something else at the same time. I, I think that the key there is that they're in the respective seasons. I've seen kids try to do like three sports at one time and, and it ends up burning them out a little bit just because they have their iron in too many fires. But I think if you can keep those sports to the respective seasons, it's just kind of a win-win. So, um, but I've always looked at winter for me as this just kind of a huge advantage. It's a chance for me to get faster, to get better, to become a better athlete while most people, quite frankly, are losing fitness. Um, it's, yeah, it's, just, it's just a time that we can use to become better athletes. And that's why I started out pointing out that we are, we're athletes that ride bikes. We're not cyclists, we're athletes that ride bikes. And the winter is just an awesome opportunity to really focus on becoming a better athlete. Because guess what? If you're a good athlete, it's gonna be so much easier to be a good cyclist. So, um, let's talk a little bit about detraining. Are you, so when, when winter comes, are you worried about losing fitness, detraining? What, what are your, I, I used to be because it's something that you can feel palpably, right? Like you feel, and especially when I was doing Nike, finish states, you're in amazing shape. You feel great. 
and then the off season comes and school you just, gets. You more just want to hang on to it, right? You want to hang on to it, right? But then, and then I noticed I'd always panic because I'd, I'd show up to my first St. George trip, right? And I'd feel like garbage, you know. And I and I and you even like when I got a road bike and a power meter, I'd, I'd look at my power numbers and be like, oh my gosh, this sucks. You know, I'm a shadow of my former self. And it's taken me a long time to realize that like fitness wanes and waxes over time and that it has to that you know if you want to have an overall upward trend you have to accept some periods where you know like the line goes down a little bit um, or even just plateaus depending on where you are you know um, so like detraining doesn't feel good and it's scary but it's kind of something that is, is a reality you you really sort of have to accept maybe that's fair yeah so let's talk about detraining for a second i've got some like good news some bad news some good news and some bad news about detraining um so, so when we train, our body makes some really awesome upgrades to be able to handle the training loads we keep placing on our bodies. Um, but the thing about our bodies is it doesn't like to maintain those upgrades if it doesn't have to. It likes to take us back to our, our soft state, you know, rather than the, the super awesome athletic state that we get to when we're kind of in our peak fitness. Well, and the, the reasons for that are kind of cool. Cause like it's energy intensive to be in good shape. I feel like, you know, that like your body, I mean, you have to remember your body's goal is to keep you alive, not to make you fast. You know, you're kind of working against your body's natural inclination. A lot of times I, I, I think when you're doing um, athletic things, that's right. And so, so when you cut off that stimulus, your body wants to return to its untrained state and but, and so that's kind of bad news. The good news is once you've gained that level of fitness, it's so much easier to get back to it than people who've never been there. You know, so that's, there's some bad news and some good news. Um, some more bad news is kind of how quickly we, we detrain. Um, like for instance, like you can actually do, you can detrain in a week I mean, you can lose some of your top end fitness in as little as a week, but that type of fitness is more related to like hormones and our blood volumes and different chemicals that, that kind of help us help us really have some of that peak fitness. We lose that fitness really, really fast, but we can also gain that back really, really fast when the time's appropriate. Okay, but then in about a month, it takes us about a month to start losing our aerobic fitness. So um, it takes us longer to build our aerobic fitness, but we lose it a little slower. But in a month, you can actually start losing a lot of that aerobic fitness. Um, but, you know, like, like Joe was saying, it is okay for your fitness to wax and wane a little bit throughout the year. And it's going to, especially that real high-end race-type fitness, you really don't want to maintain that through the winter. No, there's no good reason to unless you're a big Zwift racer or something, but, um, but you really do want to maintain that aerobic fitness. So the good news is that aerobic fitness can be maintained a whole bunch of different ways. And, you know, it's really about finding something that you have access to that you enjoy doing and that you can do it consistently. Um, but there's, you don't have to maintain that aerobic fitness on a bike. You can, if that's the way you want to do it. And if that's the most fun and appealing and motivating, but, um, you know, it, it's good to, to change things up. And like I say, you know, if you're running cross country skiing, whatever through like November through January, by the time you reach October, it, your body really doesn't care where it maintained that aerobic fitness. Um, 
So let's let's start talking about some different um, <clears throat> some different things to do during the winter. Let me first talk like about downhill skiing because I mean we live in I mean most of us live in like around Salt Lake. I, I think pretty much probably ninety percent of the riders on the team ski. You know, skiing's good. It's fun. It's awesome. But it's not, and, and there's actually some good health benefits from skiing. It, it, it you know, we should clarify. We're talking about downhill, downhill skiing. Sit on a lift, go to the top, ski yeah, down. yeah. And there's some good health benefits, strength benefits from downhill skiing. But it's not an aerobic sport. So, if the only thing you do during the winter is downhill ski, that's great. But you are going to lose much of your aerobic fitness, um, and you're, it's going to take you some time to build that back. Put another way, if your if your top priority is maximizing your performance on the bike, you can't just downhill ski in the winter. Yeah, you've got to you've got to do that in addition to other things. So. Yeah, and and if you feel like that's what I do and it's worked and I only downhill ski in the winter and I'm I'm good now, you could probably be better. Would be my short answer to that. Like I I think if you had, um, you know something else you were doing and it, you don't have to give up downhill skiing but like you know if that is the only thing you're doing like I hate when people say I train by downhill skiing in the winter like that is that's you know it, at best yeah, you're it, leaving a lot on the table exactly it's good it's healthy but it's not it's not necessarily aerobic and you're going to lose some aerobic fitness so let's talk about um, about some things we can do to make us better athletes when when the season comes around so my my overarching rule of winter training, and I, I want you guys to really, really remember this, is do something every day to make you be a better athlete, okay? Do something every single day to make you be a better athlete. And let me just throw in there, some days that means recovery. So, but here's, here's the things, here's my list of things to do um, to become a better athlete over the winter and um, we know a lot of people call it the, the off season. Joe and I thought we'd call it the awesome season, but that's kind of corny. We spent so long trying to think of a fun, kitschy little nickname for the off season. And that's and the we best we came up with. bottomed out. We completely failed. Like so, there was nothing. So if any marketing majors here um, want to get in touch with us with like a fun name for the off season... Um, how about this? We'll do a competition. Whoever sends me the best name for the off season by next podcast, I'll Venmo them five bucks. There you go. There's All our right. first contest. There we wow. go. First, first contest with neighbor here. <laughs> okay. So here's, here's the, the things that you would do during, during winter training or the awesome season as we're temporarily calling it. You know, the first one is, is you got to do something different. There's got to be a change. You know, if you did the same thing year round, you probably would, lose a lot of motivation. Motivation's a finite resource. Um, so you got to at least do something different. Okay. I want the next one is you need two strength training days a week. Number three is you need to include core and stretching. And we're going to talk about all these separately. I'm just going through them. The fourth thing is I want four to five aerobic days per week. And one of those days should be a longer type workout, a longer endurance, low intensity type workout. Really, what's what's the kind of time requirement for that? Ideally, we'd put out. Um, I would say shoot for about three hours would be awesome. Three hours plus. Yeah, three okay. hours plus. Okay. okay, and and then I'll just throw it out there. You kind of also have to periodize your nutrition a little bit. But so those are the the things that we should do during the winter. We're going to kind of talk about each of those separately. But let's, um, 
let's first and and well, let me too mention that this episode is kind of an overview episode. A lot of the things that we talk about during this episode, we're going to mention briefly and then do entire episodes dedicated to these. these we are going to milk the off season for so much content. Exactly. You have no idea. Well, we got to have content throughout the winter. We, we really do. It's it's I'm not ready to say it's going to be a struggle because um, no, there's there's always things to talk about. But like just, you know, my my notes and my phone, I've got topics like pages of stuff I'm excited to talk about. So I don't it would be gonna... cute if it wasn't so disturbing, but okay. we'll, yeah, sorry. Carry on. Okay. Dan. So anyhow, let's, so strength training, strength training probably is the most important thing you can do during the winter. That, wow. Okay. So that's, that's a pretty bold diff statement to be making like unequivocally. Like I felt good saying it. Okay. Okay. So, so strength training is something that you cannot do on the bike. If you're climbing up Rattlesnake Gulch as hard as you can, that's still not the same amount of force that you would do in the gym. So it's not strength training. It's something you cannot do on the bike. There are so many good reasons to, to do strength training. It's honestly out of, the, I'd say in the last probably, gosh, five, 10 years, it's probably the biggest of advancement in endurance sport training there has been. Art O'Connor of Wukar has been vindicated. This is, yeah, we're yeah. finally recognizing his philosophy for how great it is. Yeah, it really, yeah, strength training is absolutely crucial. Um, it does need to be combined with aerobic training. And it has to be done correctly. And it too. has to be done correctly. And safely. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk more about Wukar soon in, in, in different programs that you can do. Um, strength, strength, whoa, what did I just say? I'm not cutting that. Just so you know, okay. that's strength training. Strength <laughs> training is something you can do if you're dyslexic <laughs> and want to be fast on the bike. <laughs> Anyhow, strength training. So, so strength training, um, one, one of the things that it does is it eliminate or it reduces coactivation of our muscles. A lot of times, like when you're, when you know, like when you're flexing your bicep, the tricep is preventing it from flexing as hard as it can and strength training actually eliminates that, which is one of the major things that makes you more efficient on the bike, um, which is kind of a surprising benefit of strength training. It also in, improves how you can recruit motor groups, um, but it's super important for our skeletons because unless our skeletons are, are experiencing some kind of resistance, it won't signal growth and and strengthening of the skeleton. So super important in, in preventing like injuries. It's good for connective tissue. It corrects a lot of the imbalances that are developed on the bike. Um, but it's absolutely imperative that it's done correctly or it's, I mean, cause the worst thing you can do is injure yourself, you know, so give yourself a spinal injury. Yeah. So what Dan and I are not saying is go to your local gym and just start chucking weights around. Like, unless you have some background in like how to lift safely and effectively, maybe pay someone to teach you how to do yeah. this. It's, and we're going to do a whole episode on strength training. It's, it's super awesome. Can't recommend it enough. It's, it is the most important cross training you could do. I'll throw it really quick. I would identify it as one of the th like things that makes Keegan Swenson stand out. If you follow him on Instagram, like the amount of time he spends doing strength training and lifting and, and Kate Courtney too. And Nino Schurter. And Nino Schurter. Like this is, and this is something that they were doing before it was cool. Um, I, I think this is, we'll see, I think we'll see more pros really, really trying to like nail their, their strength training game. Um, 
So yeah, as I always say, not a marginal gain. This this is this is huge, like leaps and bounds, better than your prior self once you start doing strength training. Okay, so kind of related to strength training, but kind of a little different is is core training. Um, also can't improve this on the bike. Yeah, you also yeah riding the bike does not improve your core. You have to work on your core off the bike. Um, why do we need a strong core? Well. Because I've heard the phrase, you can't shoot a cannon from a canoe. Um, I was, I was, I saw that in the show notes. And again, we don't really have a script here, but I did see that you'd written that. And I'm like, there's no way he came up with that. I'm glad you're attributing that to someone else. That's way too clever for you. Isn't that cool? There's even but, alliteration. I love that. I'm going to put that on a shirt and just have people be really confused. You can't shoot a cannon from a canoe. But one thing Art O'Connor says um, frequently is that our legs are strong enough because like if you isolate your core, if you brace your core, your legs can like press like three or 400 pounds. If your core is not isolated like that or you're braced, you know, you can like do like half that maybe. And like, like for what so people know what Dan's talking about, if you've ever seen that machine in the gym that you sit down and then push a plate up with your knees or with your, with your legs, well, probably with your knees too, um, you can do unbelievable. You could like lift a Chevy Tahoe with your legs. Like your human being, leg, like a, the legs of a human being, even somebody who doesn't ride bikes are insanely strong, but it's fascinating how much less weight you can lift when your core is involved. Exactly. Cause your core is like the weak link and you're only as strong as your core is. And most cyclists have weak cores. And most of the kids, I have kids all the time complaining about back problems and, and even knee problems. And so much of this can be attributed to a weak core. And the winter is just an awesome, awesome time to spend some time to strengthen your core. And the two go hand in hand. Like if you have a strong core, your strength training is going to be better and, and vice versa. I mean, that's the whole point with kind of how Art O'Connor does it is everything is involves your core as well. So the two really go hand in hand. And, and really quick, like we'll probably do a whole episode on core too. We're not saying go out and get a six pack over the winter necessarily. Like we're talking about very specifically strengthening your core in order to make you a better cyclist is, is our goal here. And, and a better athlete in general, better healthier person in general, just super important. One thing, let me just throw out here too, is that the winter is an excellent time to focus on these two things, but if they're not maintained, throughout the season, you're going to lose all the gains that you've developed. So these really, these are things that you shouldn't just focus on during the winter. They should be main focused on during the winter, but maintained throughout the season, or you will go back to your detrained state. Um, another one I want to throw out there, this a few years ago used to be controversial, which is kind of dumb, but is stretching. Now, some people need stretching more than others. I'm built very tightly as Bo knows. I absolutely have to stretch a lot of the problems and pains I develop on the bike, I can alleviate by being more mobile and, and stretching. Winter is an amazing time to work on these types of things. I mean, cause a lot of us are used to doing like three hour rides frequently and you're not going to be doing three hour aerobic workouts during the winter. So you're going to have some time to work on things like core and stretching and strength that, you know, that um, because your aerobic workouts are going to be shorter. So, but stretching, foam rolling, it's just a really good time to address some some of our mobility type issues. So um, I would also note really quickly that all of these like we're not saying pick one of these like you kind of need to do if, again, if your goal is to maximize yourself and become the best rider you can be like 
leaving any one of these out means you're leaving a lot on the table. Um, you know, and, and for me, like, and like you said too, I'd also reiterate, like I did Wukar this winter and I was really good and totally on top of it. And then I stopped and, you know, I, I felt myself losing gains, you know, I felt better on the bike in a lot of ways at the beginning of the season I was doing St. George training camps and stuff. And by the end of the season now, like my back's starting to hurt again. It's harder for me to stay on the bike for the same amount of time. Um, you know, so anything we're talking about here, like principally does need to be continued through the remainder of the season. Well, let me just throw out a couple names here, like Isaac Zabriskie and Joe Cochran. I know, and there's more, but I know those two for sure maintained their strength training throughout the entire season to great effect. And they're doing okay, right? Yeah. They're fine. Yeah. They're doing decent. They're fine. Especially for someone like Ken to tires. It's amazing. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since we did that bit. Shout out, shout out to Joe. It's still funny, right? It's still funny. Um, so I, I have a question, like tr trainers. I actually want to know, because the way you've been talking, it's almost like, do trainers fit into this? Because I'm a huge trainer fanboy. Okay. So let's totally switch now to talking. So we've talked about like strength, core, stretching. Let's talk about the aerobic side of winter training, which is absolutely essential. Um, and there's a bunch of different ways that you can achieve. You can maintain your aerobic base throughout the winter and you can kind of maybe focus on one, focus on two, pick whatever is the most motivational. Let's go through each of these. And um, now some of these have larger barriers to entry than others, meaning some might be more expensive, might take some special skills, but let's talk about trainers first. Okay. Um, might be a controversial subject maybe, right? Get ready for some sizzling hot takes, folks. Okay. Now, I personally, I'm a big fan of the trainer. I I love my trainer. Um, Utilize it quite a bit during the on season, or I, we shouldn't say on or off season, but like you've ridden the trainer in the past two weeks. I've seen you. Yeah. And I'll, I'll admit, I probably use the trainer more than I should because like for me, it's just so easy. Like I have a really nice setup, not going to brag, um, but it's, it's, all I basically have to do is throw in a kit, throw on some shoes and I'm, I'm going, you know, it's so easy. To, and a lot of times when I'm just kind of like, I get home from work a little late, I just don't have enough time. I don't want to bundle up. It's so easy to just hop on the trainer and, and get a good workout in. Um, you know, time, time on the trainer is actually really efficient because especially where I'm primarily a mountain biker, if you look at your your power data from a mountain bike ride, um, you spend a whole lot of time coasting. And so if you're only spending like an hour on the trainer, it's almost like spending an hour and a half out on the trails or more, you know, you, even on the road. Like, I mean, I spent, I mean, not just like freewheeling, but like traffic lights, four way stops, you know, like there's, or just like traffic where you can't go as fast and as hard as you want to. Like it's, and, and sure, like, and it, I would, I was gonna say like the trainers are more boring, but I don't even know if that's the case anymore. Like it's getting, trainer setups are getting so they're, good. They're getting good. And, and I noticed there's a lot, there's a lot of people out there that are just really, really anti-trainer. They're against the trainers. Most of those people I've noticed don't actually have a good setup. And I get that because we used to have like a little fluid trainer and 30 minutes on that thing felt like an eternity. And I would almost say unless you actually have a really good trainer set up like a like a smart trainer and Zwift and a, something to watch while you're doing it, I probably would do something else. Yeah, and that is true. And, and, and that being said, 
like this sport is expensive and and uh, you know i know it's it's hard especially if you listen to me talk just i will constantly encourage you to spend more money on it in probably a destructive way um spending money on a good quality trainer setup that will allow you to actually effectively use a trainer during the winter is something that I would argue is in like my top three best investments in cycling. Um, and it's not even as expensive as it used to be because, and, and we should say like, while we're talking about training, we need to talk about Zwift, um, Zwift and trainer road, but I would even argue mostly Zwift for most of us, for me at least. And like, I'm coming off a period of my life. I graduated um, uh, with my bachelor's degree in May. And it took me a long time to get it. I was going part-time, paying out of pocket. Um, and like, I had to go to work all day and then go to class and stuff and then come home at night. Being able to just, and like you said, having it ready to go so there's no prep time. You don't have to look around for five different things. You throw in a pair of bibs, turn on the fan, clip in and, and go. Like like your it, bikes, you have a dedicated bike on there. Yeah, that's... like it, 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 it allowed me to keep cycling. And like, that's not an exaggeration. Like that, I, I was not... Like I wouldn't be able to coach the group I coached last year if I hadn't spent the last four years with a good quality trainer setup. And like out of, off the, I, I will tell you, quality trainers like five hundred bucks. You can spend a thousand. I can give you cool reasons to spend a thousand. But Zwift just released their trainer and like not sponsored, just from a bike industry guy. Five hundred bucks for a direct drive trainer, which basically means the kind where you take the wheel off your bike. There's a cassette built into the trainer. It's way smoother, way way quieter. The power works better and everything. And Zwift, if you're not familiar, is essentially a video game where you're, you're, you, I go Google it. You can watch a YouTube video. That's way better than me explaining it. But like, you know, when you get to a hill, the trainer gets harder. You know, when you, um, like you can set it up to do workouts, like Dan, you'll have it. Basically it can force you to hold a specific power because it'll automatically adjust the amount of resistance depending on how fast you're pedaling to get to the right power that you want to be at. Like we, I don't think we don't spend a yeah. whole ton, ton we, of time I mean, yeah, yeah, Cause we have a whole episode coming up, right? Do we actually? Oh, know. yeah. Oh, no, that's of course, right. Of yeah. course we do. We have an episode about everything. We're going to do some stupid episode about something about the dumbest thing in like February when we're just totally out of stuff to talk about. I'll talk about Zwift and trainers more later, but like the five, six, seven hundred bucks you end up spending on a trainer setup is just. It's money well spent. It's money well spent. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of trainers. They're super convenient. A lot of times I get, like during the middle of winter, I get off of work at five and it's already dark while I'm driving home. I really hate bundling up to go right on an icy road, which is super dangerous. It's just a really convenient way to maintain some fitness over the winter. And I, I enjoy it. Now, I know a lot of people, there are some people that absolutely hate trainers. And to those people, I would say, don't do it if you hate it. If you hate trainers, don't do it. We're not I mean, this this should be enjoyable. It should be fun. There's other ways to get fitness. Really make sure you actually hate trainers, though. Like, if the last time you did a fluid trainer was 1996, you owe it to yourself to give it another crack. Yeah. It, it's it's gotten better. Yeah. If you've got a good setup, though, it's it's. I mean, I still prefer riding outside any day of the week. Oh yeah, but, but it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. Um, my my caution to youth riders, and this is what I had Joe Cochran do over the winter, was just two days a week, I think is plenty for most youth riders. I would try to, with the other days, do something else. Um, I, I think for, for like college students and time crunched athletes, you know, do it as much as you want. It's, it's a super convenient type of workout. I use the trainer like five days a week during the winter. My, my other huge thing I would say with the trainer is be very cautious of a lot of Zwift racing. I would do it occasionally just for fun. I wouldn't make that your, go-to way of getting fitness over the winter. And 
I, I think that most of the training that you do on the trainer during the winter should mostly be zone two, zone three work. I would, I would avoid real high intensity intervals during the winter on the trainer. I just don't think that you need that type of fitness right Dan's now. Dan's just staring directly at me right now. I'm this being, I'm Joe. being this called out. This Joe is, ever does. I love in Zwift. You can like win green jerseys and stuff on sprints and I'm, I'm addicted to it. And there yeah. were a couple of rides a couple of winters ago where I got on the trainer, got tempted into a sprint, did a sprint that was so cataclysmically difficult that I ended my trainer ride like 18 minute, minutes in, you know, like that's not, I'm not going to defend that practice. That's not ideal. So the last thing I want to say about trainers is don't, I would, because train, their trainer feels different. It's, the trainer is different than riding outside. They're not the same. In fact, in a way, I almost consider it like cross training because you can really target different types of, of intensities on the trainer that you can outside. You can do really different things on the tra- trainer that you can do outside. So I really wouldn't try to mimic the type of riding you do outside. Like I know some coaches have written programs that would try to mimic a mountain bike ride. I'm like, no, you do mountain bike rides to mimic a mountain bike ride. On most of the workouts I do on the trainer are actually really, really simple um, endurance pace and then some sweet spot type sub threshold workouts, which are actually quite frankly, really difficult to do well on a mountain bike on a trails. So like you could argue that you'd want to use the trainer in July, just if you really needed to get this particular kind of workout and it is far and away the so, most effective way. So to yeah. Do it. So use it for workouts that you wouldn't be able to do outside. So I think, boy, we spent a lot of time on trainers. It's a, sorry, Dan, I was, I, you guys, it touched a heartstring for me. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, if you hate trainers, do something else. Okay. So, um, the next one I want to talk about, and this might be a bit of a hot take is riding outside. I would say like if it's a beautiful day and it sounds really, really fun. Yeah. Go for a ride outside. That's great. But you know, like the pros will like bundle up, they'll have all their expensive winter gear. They'll get out their winter bike and they will go out for six hours and work on their long, slow distance base. And you know what? They get paid to do that. That's fine. Let them do it. I really don't think that's a good idea for our youth athletes to do. Um, there's other ways to maintain aerobic fitness during the winter that are safer. And I, I do know some kids that have done this and it, it wasn't sustainable. So um, right outside, if it sounds fun, if it's a good day, sure, go out and have fun. But it really shouldn't be I don't think it's a good idea to do it if super long cold rides in bad weather and bad traffic conditions that's just and for, for what it's worth like the professionals are using like the like the coats and the the long bibs and everything the special shoes you have to have like it ends up being more expensive than a trainer set like I had the good fortune of working with a really awesome company when I was at backcountry that provided me with a whole bunch of winter riding gear that's amazing it's like three thousand bucks worth of stuff that I put on to go ride in the winter in Utah. Like it, a trainer's way cheaper, you know, and it's, and again, it is dangerous. You know, it's, there's ice, it's bad on your bike. Like I do it a bit. I'd probably do it more than I should. Cause I, I love riding outside. Um, but like you don't, don't, don't do this five days a week. That's insane and kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah. It's I've, I've seen excessive winter cold weather riding lead to some burnout. So um, yeah, just, just be cautious there. You know, like I like to, t- I love taking St. George trips and I think you guys should occasionally take St. George trips just for fun. On these type of trips, I would make your focus be more on in- maintaining and improving your riding skills and abilities rather than 
a huge focus on your fitness. Go there more for fun and to improve skills and, um, but not so much. Uh, yeah, you should go road bike down to St. George. I don't know if I'll do that this winter. Yeah. Like I, I kind of like, you're already getting enough of that and you can even ride your road bike a little bit up in, in Salt Lake if you need to, but like do go to St. George though. hundred percent. Put in some big long days on the mountain bike, you know, that would be like you, hard to do a six hour trainer ride, but you can do a six hour ride in St. George. Right. Absolutely. So, so this one, this one I really want to kind of sell hard, even though I don't do it myself. There's huge, huge, huge benefits for this next one I'm going to talk about because we mentioned that that some of these outdoor training methods or these winter training methods have huge barriers to entry. This one does not at all, and that's running. Now, now running's kind of cycling sister sport, and if you are a good runner, it's not that hard to become a good cyclist, and vice versa. These two sports really play into each other really, really well. Um, and I'll admit like running is kind of an acquired taste and it's not a lot of fun until you get really good at it until you get some good form and, 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 and your body gets prepared to do it. Um, but I highly recommend that, that this is something you guys consider doing over the winter because you guys get off school. Most of you get off school early enough that you could do a quick run after school. Now, the interesting thing I want to point out about running, well, first of all, it costs like nothing to get into it. How much is like a pair of running shoes? hundred bucks? It, you, like the best running shoes. I, yeah. I, and like, I guarantee you guys probably already have a pair of shoes you can actually uh, run in already. You know yeah, I mean? Dude. It's so cheap to get into. And I was thinking about it the other day because, you know, you really like, you don't have to run as long as you would go on a bike ride. Like you wouldn't want to do a three hour run every day like you would on a bike. They're, they're shorter, you know? And I was thinking about the other day, you could go for a run in the amount of time it would take for you to drive to a ski resort. Oh, easily. 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 No problem. You go on a run in the amount of time it takes most people to put on their winter riding stuff. Yeah. And you know, it's just so you just step out the door and you're maintaining your aerobic fitness. It's literally no matter where you are on the planet, you can step out your, you can run through the halls of hotel. Like you can, you can do it anywhere. There's no barriers to entry. So if you're not a runner during the winter, I would highly, highly suggest it. It's something that I want. I, I tried to get into last winter. Um, I, I had a hip problem, so I really couldn't. There's my excuse. Watching Dan and I run is the it's hilarious. funniest thing ever. We are the least graceful creatures on God's green earth. It's it's so pathetic, but, but I, it's still good for you. It's you it's know? good for and and actually it's really good for your it's good for your skeleton. It's good for your connective tissue. It yeah. So if you're not a runner, I would highly recommend doing some running this winter. My my caution is it's funny because Andrew. He goes on an annual run every year at the end of the season. And like last year he went for like, like it was like a nine mile run. He was really, really fast, had some great times. He came back and was sore for like two weeks. It's something you really have to ease into. We've got the, uh, as cyclists, we've got the motor to do it, but our muscles and connective tissue aren't quite ready for it. You kind of have to, to ease into it. Um, you know, maybe start at a mile and then work up to two and then, and you know. cause like you all have ridiculously good aerobic engines, but your bodies are just not equipped to do it. So like you will feel like you can do some ridiculous, crazy run and then your knees will be useless for, for two weeks. And then like, that's actually kind of a serious problem. If you're taking two unplanned weeks off when you don't need them. Yeah. That's, so that's ease into running, 
Yeah. Your first run should be mostly a walk, right? Isn't that what they always say? Or they, they talk about walk runs where you kind of walk part of it, run a little bit of it, walk part of it, run a little bit, or just, you know, like, a, yeah, just build up. Don't, don't do what Andrew does every winter. Always a good rule of thumb. Don't do what Andrew does. Yeah, it's usually a good rule to go by. So the next one, a lot of our riders are into schemo. And, and I don't know how long schema has been around, but it's getting more and more popular. It's basically like the XCO of skiing. I mean, you, you, you know, you basically ski, you skin up and then they'll take off their ski, their skins and ski down a section. And, um, it's extremely aerobic. It's, it's hard. Um, I imagine it's probably fun. I've never done it. And, you know, a lot of our riders do it and they, they seem to maintain some really good fitness over the winter when they, when they do it. I think, um, I do think it's pretty expensive. It's on I the pricey side. It's on the pricey side. The, the, it's kind of the ideal winter training if, if it's something that you can do. Yeah. I and, mean, you know, and if you can do it, I think that'd be a good thing to get into. Be a lot of fun. Um, like there are some barriers to entry there. Nordic skiing. Uh, we do have quite a few. And, and when you go to the national races, most of the kids that are winning those also Nordic ski. Nordic skiing is probably the gold standard for um, cross training aerobically for cycling. You can actually hit a higher VO2 max on Nordic skis than you can doing basically anything else. And by Nordic skiing, I'm referring to like skate skiing or classic cross country skiing. Uh, I think it's, it's, I'm assuming it's less expensive than Schemo. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it would be. I really don't know what I'm talking about right now. Like but owning horses or helicopters <laughs> might be more expensive than Schemo, but no. other than that, you know. Um, but if you haven't tried that, it'd be a good thing to try. I think there's a lot of technique involved. Um, I I have done a little bit of that, and I I look absolutely terrible while I'm doing you it. You look hilarious. It's really funny. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another good thing to consider. So this next one is one that's actually pretty near and dear to my heart. It's probably my favorite cross training. Kind of my favorite too. Yeah. And, and I, um, I used to be a skier and a snowboarder. I, I'm kind of less and less getting into it. I don't like the crowds. I don't like the traffic. I kind of have a little beef with ski resorts in some ways too, but I love hiking during the winter. And and actually during the season, I try to go on at least one hike a week. I don't actually Strava it and I don't know why I probably should, but I do try to go on one hike each week during the, the whole entire season. Um, but during the winter, it's probably when I'm not Zwifting, um, I, I, hiking's kind of my thing. And like running, there's very few barriers to entry. It's extremely inexpensive. I mean, probably more expensive than running, because you have to buy boots instead of running shoes, but yeah, and then the ice, um, the like uh, like ice uh, uh, spikes. Yeah, but I, they're like seventy bucks. But I yeah, you get some, those. you know, you get some boots that are a little bit warmer than normal hiking boots, and then you get the the little ice shoes, which are like sixty or seventy bucks for some good ones, and grab some ski poles, and it's just so beautiful. Like the places you can go, they're they're safe. And they're just extremely beautiful. You don't see other people. Um, Usually limited Abbey danger, you know, like for, yeah. for, for me, like I'll plug in an audiobook and go out for three or four hours. And it's like, it would be really hard to go ride for three or four hours. It'd be really hard to stay on the trainer for three or four hours. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a great way to do some low intensity, longer aerobic type work that would replace some of that work that we did on the bike earlier. Um, 
and hiking really too has huge, huge transferable benefits for the bike. How I would recommend you do most of your hikes is like go up something really, really steep with force, you know, go up a steep trail and do it forcefully and fast. So you're breathing really, really hard and then gradually do a controlled descent, which is actually really, really good um, for your knees. If you, if you have some patellar tendonitis issues during the winter or during the, during the riding season, these, these slow descents down steeper hills can be really, really beneficial for strengthening your knees. Um, hiking is just awesome. I, I always try to hope people would come join me on some of my long winter hikes. I apparently skiing's more fun, so I have a hard time getting any takers, but, um, but yeah, hiking, anyone can do it. Great cross training and an opportunity to enjoy a lot of places that you don't really go on bikes. You know, like all of the hills behind where we live aren't bikeable, as I said, aren't bikeable yet. Um, but like in, in the past, like I'd like, I live in this beautiful place that I'm never going to because I was going somewhere else to ride mountain bikes, you know. Um, and, and for most of our audience that here, that's here in Utah, like winter hiking is just the best. Yeah. Like it's, it's so gorgeous. It's, it's good to like break the cycle of staring at screens and stuff all day. Um, highly recommend it. Give it a shot. Okay. So we've recommended, I mean, we've just given some ideas, like you've all heard of these things before. No, this probably isn't the first time people have heard of hiking, but my hope is that we've really inspired you to think of what you can do this winter to, you know, so that every day you can do something to be a better athlete. No, it, it really doesn't matter which one of these you choose. They all like by the time July or October shows up, it really doesn't matter that much, which one of these you choose. The thing that matters is that you were consistent, that you were progressing, that you got out there, got, got your heart rate up, got breathing and, and that you just, you just combine these, these, these things every day to, to become a better athlete. So just to go over the list really quick again, just as a review is first, just do something different. You know, um, the second was try to do four to five days a week of aerobic training, um, like the running skiing or the schemo hiking. But one of those days should be longer. And, and hiking is probably the best way for that. Um, two strength days a week and, and core and yeah. And that's basically it. No, there are a few things that I know, I know we've kind of, this has kind of been long, but there's a few things that I just want to caution because I mentioned earlier, what you do over the winter is one of the main things that's going to make you be an absolute, one of the, the best cyclists out there. Um, but there's also some things that can, you know, the winter can basically make you or break you. And some things that, that I would just really caution you against doing during the winter is, is one, just avoid too much high intensity on the trainer. Um, there's really no need for it at this time of year. Um, yeah, it'll get you really, really fast for cactus hugger. But you know what? It'd be fun just to peak for Cactus Hugger one time. The only bicycle races I've ever won have been I-Cups in St. George. Okay, fun, well, fun fact about and, Joe. And Joe likes to do a lot of high intensity over the winter. So, so yeah, it, I just don't see a need for it. Keep it sub-threshold. Um, uh, the, the second thing is, is just the long, slow rides outside. I mean, that might be okay for some people. I personally wouldn't recommend it for you cyclists. It's just it's just a big ask to get people to do that. Um, 
another one is avoid getting hurt. You know, when you're out skiing and having fun, always think of the risk reward trade-off and doing some sick thing to show off for friends. I mean, if that could cost you like three months of training, is it worth it? I would probably say no. If it's going to prevent you from riding until June, is it worth it? You know, I don't, I can't think of a trick that's cool enough that I'd give up a month of bike riding for it. Yeah. But the absolute worst thing that you could do over the winter, the absolute worst thing you could do over the winter is nothing. So really, really make it a priority to use this winter to become a better athlete while other people lose fitness, you're going to become a better, more capable, well-rounded, balanced athlete. And when, you know, when it's time, when the, when the trails start drying, you're going to feel great. You're going to be just that much ahead of people that, that didn't. So, yeah. And remember you guys, we're, we're not cyclists. We're athletes that ride bikes. So now we're cyclists. Okay. Thanks as always uh, for, for listening. If you have questions, I'm dead serious. If somebody sends me a cool replacement name for the off season, I will Venmo the winner five bucks. Uh, and as always, thank you to Brent Cochran and the Norden group of Salt Lake for, uh, for their continued support. Talk to you next week, folks.